Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. In 2012, ethnic Tuareg separatists in northern Mali declared independence and launched an offensive to take control of territory they claimed as part of their new country. For a time, they joined forces with hardcore jihadi groups and succeeded in evicting government forces from large swaths of northern Mali, including the city of Timbuktu. Soon, though, that partnership between Islamists and ethnic separatists frayed, with Islamist groups wresting control of captured territory from the Tuareg separatists and imposing harsh Islamist rule in areas under their control. Then the jihadist forces renewed their offensive against the government of Mali, and it was at this point that the Malian government asked for international assistance. The French military intervened directly on their behalf, beating back the jihadist insurgency. Meanwhile, a UN peacekeeping force deployed to stabilize areas that were formerly controlled by insurgents. In 2015, a peace agreement negotiated between President Ibrahim Boubacar Keita and key armed groups affiliated with the Tuareg separatists ushered in a new constitutional order. But since then, the country has still been beset by instability. It is, for example, the deadliest UN peacekeeping mission in the world, and by far. I explained this recent history of Mali because it provides useful context and background for my conversation today with Dr. Amadou Bokum. He is the Mali director of the NGO Search for Common Ground, and I caught up with him from Bamako, the capital city which is in the south of the country. Since June, there have been a number of major protests in Bamako against President Ibrahim Boubacar Keita. These protests are united under an umbrella group called the June 5 Movement, which was the day of the first protest. On June 11th, these protests escalated very quickly and became deadly. Several protesters were killed in what has become the worst political crisis in Mali since that 2015 peace accord. In our conversation, Amadou Bokum describes how these protests were sparked by a court decision to annul the results of parliamentary elections of 31 opposition candidates. But as he explains, the discontent that is driving these protests runs much deeper. This is a very useful conversation about a crisis that is very much unfolding at the present time, and it is also one that is of profound regional and international significance. Today's episode is supported in part from a grant from the Carnegie Corporation of New York to showcase African voices in peace and security issues. To view other episodes in this series, please visit globaldispatchespodcast.com. And now here is my conversation with Dr. Amadou Bukum, Mali Director of Search for Common Ground. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? 
Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. The June protest movement was sparkled by the parliamentary election, but uh, it's uh, more deeper than that. As you said, it's just sparkled by, by that because uh, some uh, 31 parliamentarian the election has been cancelled and replaced by other people by the high court. Because in uh, in Mali, after the, any election, the high court has uh, to confirm it. So from uh, that confirmation, they cancel about uh, 31 parliamentarians. So that's where the whole thing really exploded. But uh, before, the situation is... Uh, is really deeper and complex than that because it's more than uh, a mere election result. Things started uh, in uh, 2012 when the president has been elected because people were having a lot of hope in him and his election was uh, the first encounter in kind to really reach uh, 70% of votes. This was extremely high. Because people thought that uh, he is the man that can really solve the situation of security, the situation of bad governance in uh, in Mali. So people really believe that he was the man. So massively has been elected by all this side of the society, including the religious leader, because the religious leader even helped him to really get uh, that position. Yeah. So, yes. so the so the idea was that he came to power and was elected overwhelmingly, uh, and came to power in the midst of this kind of conflict that was raging in in the north of the country, and people turned to him to try to quell the conflict and make peace. Exactly. So, because during his during his campaign, he managed to convince people that uh, he is the man. He can solve. He can solve it. So. People really voted him massively. And then he really failed the people. The conflict has escalated. We even lost uh, the north of the, the country. There are areas called Kidal when the government cannot even the government is not even there. The corruption and the bad governance also was was higher. So finally he really failed the people. So that creates a kind of uh, unhappiness among the population. That's where these uh, protests started to really fight against him. So all the people were not happy by his governance. Then you united in one front to ask him uh, to ask him to leave. So by today you can even say they only agree on. On one thing, they want him to leave, but uh, those people don't have the same agenda. They are not uh, in the same parties. 
but uh, they just agree that uh, he has to leave. That's why the thing was very high at this stage. So, so that's interesting. Um, as you said, the spark that caused this protest was election results that were annulled. But it, you're saying it's it's a really broad and diverse coalition that is demanding his resignation, uh, even though they come from different sectors of society. Who are the elements of this movement uh, that are that are demanding his resignation? It's uh, it started. Uh by one religious leader called Imam Imam Diko. He is uh, well respected because uh, he managed to force government to even stop uh, a bill on uh, a, a really progressive bill on uh, human rights. He even also managed to make the prime minister step down. But he is very respected. So he also was instrumental on the, in the election of, uh, of a president. So what he said that uh, the president has uh, failed the whole nation, then he has, uh, he has to leave. So in addition to him, there are now political parties. And you know, all the political parties being left wing or right wing or center. So all of them united. But the truth also is, most of those political leaders that are vocal, they all participated in the in the government of the president at at some point because he's now at his seventh year in power. So the Imam Diko is the only one that really people respect. Although he's not a, a truly politician, but people really trust him. So if he said he asked people to really go out to demonstrate they always uh, go out but now we we don't really know all the agenda behind all this but for now they are everyone is talking about uh, bad governance about security issues and those are real on high agenda for every malians you know what's sort of interesting to me and what really caused me to take notice of uh this situation was the the fact that i believe it was july 23rd you had presidents from i think six countries in the region including mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head but including i think ghana mm-hmm. and senegal i know it included nigeria which is significant because they're the yeah. regional heavyweight they all sought to intervene because they saw this political crisis as potentially spiraling out of control. What can you tell me about that visit uh, and what happened and what was accomplished? It's true. It's called ECOWAS. ECOWAS is a, a West African economic community composed by 16 countries. So the ECOWAS then sent six of the president to really come and assist. But before they sent a magician team led by a good luck Jonathan. Good luck Jonathan, the former uh, former Nigerian president. So they came for uh, a three days in Mali to talk with all the stakeholders to see how they can really assist in mediating the issue. So they prepared a report, and that report was not accepted by all the opposition leaders. It was 
after that, that the head of state decided to come. Of course, it's including Nigeria, Ghana, Ivory Coast, Niger, because Niger is now heading the the West Africa Economic Community. Mm-hmm. So what they what they really achieve, they said that the president cannot leave power because he has been uh, normally elected. Then he cannot leave power. So that was the first thing. The second thing also they said. Uh, that we Mali need to put in place a national union government to really assist to 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 create a kind of a national cohesion around all all those all those issues. And the third thing also they said is it to really re, redo the election of a thirty one. Hmm. Parliamentarian that have been uh, mm-hmm. wrongly, ro- wrongly, wrongly elected, but definitely up to now the opposition leader did not uh, accept it because the contentious was uh, the prime minister, and the ECOWAS do not talk about the prime minister, assuming that the prime minister should stay and the president want the prime minister to stay, but the opposition leader said because. He asked or he gave order for the for, for the anti-terrorist forces to attack the, the people. So almost uh, ten to twenty-three people has been killed, depending on who you talk to. And then the protesters think that the prime minister should not uh, stay. So up to now, we are now at that uh, at that uh, at that stage. Hmm. So, so basically, ECOWAS comes forward with this proposal for constitutional reforms to redo those election, the results which the protesters believe were wrongfully annulled, uh, and also, uh, but you know, against the protesters' demand, they they. ECOWAS says that the president needs to stay in power, but the point of contention now, as you're explaining it to me, is that the protesters want the prime minister out uh, because they blame him for the violence. Yes, that's that's correct. Because they said if if the, why they, they cannot understand why the, the president is really insisted to have a, to keep the prime minister because they want a, a an inquiries on uh, who give the order and how those 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 people has been killed so they they believe that the prime minister has blood on his hand so he cannot uh, lead the the national government so from now the ECOWAS has then asked the president to to nominate six ministers, six key ministers, what they call the 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 regalian ministry. This means foreign affairs, force armies, justice, and economy. So those those one has been those one has been now selected and then people also are not happy because they said the prime minister should not lead that uh, that uh, that government so we believe that uh, at the long i believe the president won't have any choice than to mm-hmm. 
as the Prime Minister to, to really resign. That's interesting because, you know, before we talked, I was reading up uh, press reports of what the protesters' demands were and how they conflicted with what ECOWAS recommended. And what I seem to glean from that reporting is that the protesters were still insistent that uh, the president step aside. But you're saying that um, there is a potential way out of this crisis if the prime minister steps aside. Yes, I I believe, as I said, the, the moral leader who is the imam, the imam has a, a bit not changed but uh, improved his, his positions. He said what he's, what he's demanding is a, a good governance. What he's demanding is to have peace in the country. And what he's demanding is a, to have an inquiries on how those people have been killed. So this is a big, a big shift of a, of, of, of a position of an imam. And then most of the Malians are really behind, behind, behind the imam. So from my, from my reading, it's a, they can, they are, the opposition is just insisting as a, a way of having something to, something to really bargain. Mm. But uh, definitely, I don't think they can get the president to leave, to leave power because ECOWAS is no more with them. And the imam also has uh, at least shifted a little bit his, mm. uh, his, his position. If the president agreed to ask his prime minister to really resign and then put this commission to really inquire and how, who gave the order for the anti-terrorist forces to intervene in town. Uh, I'm sure it will be a way out. That's, that's very, very interesting. Um, you alluded to this earlier, but I'd like to sort of explore and learn from you, perhaps more in depth, the ways in which um, the conflict in the North and the 2015 peace agreement and the unfulfilled promises contained within that 2015 peace agreement um, might have led to this political crisis that we're seeing now. I mean, first, is it fair to say, uh, and a lot of the sort of over Overwhelming narrative uh, about the situation in Mali is that, you know, there was this peace agreement, uh, which was good on paper, but uh, the partners to the peace agreement, the signatories, have not taken the requisite steps to implement its provisions. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, I will say it's an assessment. Fair or not, you know, the peace agreement. The situation is uh, very complex in uh, in Mali. It's uh, something that uh, almost nobody is really happy about it. Even the government is not happy happy about it. The 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 Etwareg or the Azawad also in the north are not fully happy about it because it's kind of compromise. And another thing also was uh, the rest of the country. This in the south also is not uh, very happy about uh, the peace agreement. So all those make it difficult to be implemented. And also to get the peace agreement fully implemented, they need to have uh, a new constitution. And the president at some point tried to change the constitution to allow him to implement the peace agreement. And uh, that also was a big protest last year. So he was forced 
to back up. So if the constitution is not changed, the peace agreement cannot uh, be fully cannot be fu fully implemented, and uh, that also that also created all those uh, all those issues. For instance, one of the area is uh, the number of parliamentarians given to the to the north. Most of the Malian do not agree with that because the north people are there is not so well. There are not many people there, population-wise, and the, the number of uh, parliamentarians is uh, is is very high, and people are not very happy about that. And another thing also was uh, the amount of resources that uh, is uh, is uh, earmarked for the for the north. People also are not happy about it about that. So there are a lot of issues that needed to, to be solved. And then starting first by to revise the constitutions. I think that's where the whole issue lies. Till the constitution is revised, it cannot be implemented fully. I think that's where the whole issue is. Yeah. You know, I'm wondering, um, you know, if there are examples of local peace building efforts that are seeking to reduce kind of levels of, of violence and improve social cohesion in parts of Mali, even as um, you're seeing this kind of crisis, political crisis in, in, in Bamako and in the capital, and even as, as you say, um, you know, you're going to need constitutional reform for some sort of national peace to, to really take hold. Are there, you know, examples of like local peace initiatives that might be uh, useful for, for people to learn about? I think there are, there are many, there are many, even with, the government has put a lot of uh, a lot of effort. They they did what they call a a national workshop for for peace, and uh, there is there was also what they call the national dialogue initiative. So during all those initiatives, all the all the stakeholder, all the the representative of 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 a country was there. So they all come. And uh, and decision has been decision has been has been taken to really implement. In addition to that, also there are all those group based based on ethnic groups. For instance, there, there, there is one for the Fulanis, there is one for the the Sonre are the people of the north. There are one for the people of the center. And uh, in addition to that, also there are uh, many NGOs, international NGOs, working uh, on uh, on uh, social cohesion, trying to assist uh, assist uh, the the country to really move. But the main issue is uh, the situation is uh, really complex. At some time, we are not even sure if uh, it's international banditries. This means uh, people coming to sell cocaine, or uh, it's a uh, People coming to 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 set up a Islamic Islamic Republic, or it's just a good political thing that they want one region to be independent. So the situation is is really confused and complex. So finally, people don't even know what are the real issue. Is it the these international drugs seller? Because the north now is a, a kind of where 
drug drug transit from one area to an area? Is it also because they wanted to to install an Islamic state, or is a, this normal political wing that they want to have a independence or to have a kind of federalism around some area of of the country? All that makes the situation very complex, and to see a way out very very quickly. In the midst of, of what you describe as a very complex conflict with a lot of different drivers, with a lot of uncertainty uh, around what is driving certain aspects of the conflict in the North, uh, you also have a relatively large UN peacekeeping presence, uh, which you know is the for the UN is is the most dangerous peacekeeping mission in the world, with more UN peacekeepers dying there than anywhere else. Uh, what? role do you see the UN and the peacekeepers playing in, you know, if not solving this conflict, keeping a lid on things so they don't spiral out of control? I think all those peacekeeping are really good and they are doing their work. Being the UN one, being the French one, they are really trying to do, to do really, to do really their best. But the the main issue is Mali is big. It's 1.2 million square kilometers. It's really big. And uh, another thing also is those peacekeeping also they have the mandate given by the given by UN or given by by the 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 the, the national authorities. And uh, sometimes it's difficult for them to go beyond the, the mandate they they give them. And uh, more importantly also is uh, people or sometimes think that uh, they don't react quickly for instance when there is uh, an issue or a, an attack somewhere the time the information reach uh, the malian forces or reach uh, the un forces or the french forces and the time they took to to really respond sometime the, the, the damage is done and the, the, the people are gone. So that also put in the mind of people if uh, those forces are here to really help them or not. But the truth is they are doing their best. That's uh, my, my reading of the situation. They are doing their best, but the situation is, is, really, is really complex and the country is too big. So finally, you know, I know you work in areas of, of peace and, and peace building. What opportunities do you see, you know, both out of this current political crisis, but, you know, more broadly for sort of long-term peace building in Mali? I, I think from my, where I stand, the major opportunity is uh, the stakeholder needed to sit and have a dialogue. I don't think there are there is a meaningful dialogue between uh, the, 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 the stakeholders, at least at national level. So if the, the, the stakeholder really sat and had a, a really meaningful dialogue, I'm sure it will go a long way. When there is a meaningful dialogue, then the president will also have a this legitimacy to talk with uh, to talk with authority to the international community. But the way it is, even if 
internally he's not fully accepted, then it's difficult for him to really talk with authority to the international community. So to me, the first is for the president maybe to accept to have a meaningful dialogue with uh, all those people involved in those issues. I'm sure from there, a lot of things can be solved. Um, there are people have a lot of idea how to how to address it, but uh, it's not a, a a one way thing. That is, uh, this group win or this other win, but they need to put uh, the Mali at hand at uh, at heart as the president promised in 2012. His uh, slogan was Mali first for the Malian happiness and for the Malian dignity. If he's back to that. I'm sure it will go a long way. Really, this country is a, is a big country. And then it's also with a lot of histories. A lot of history. All the major kingdom comes from, from Mali, being the kingdom of going to Ghana, to Ivory Coast, come from Mali. So I'm sure there is a lot of resources within the country to really solve, solve this issue. So I believe... It's not, it's not yet lost. I ask everyone to really accept to sit and put their selfishness aside and uh, see the Mali as one. Definitely, there is a way out. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you so much, Amadou. Thank you. You're welcome, Mark. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Amadou. And I must say, this was a very valuable conversation to me. You know, I've read up a lot on Mali in advance of this conversation. And over the years, I've done episodes on the situation in Mali. Uh, but it was just such an advantage to speak with a local expert on the ground in Bamako uh, to learn his perspective on this situation, which varies from some of the things that I'm reading about the situation. So thank you to Amadou and thank you again to the Carnegie Corporation of New York for supporting the show as part of this series featuring African voices and peace and security issues. And the opinions and views expressed in this episode are exclusively the responsibility of those of us who express them. All right, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye.